man loses himself. Uh, stand with me, if you will, in honor and reverence of God's word. We'll look into 2 Samuel 12. I'll have a few announcements uh, at the end of the service uh, that I've, I've left over. But uh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and get those out of the way. First thing, uh, youth activities meeting, please come. 4.30 this evening. Uh, please come and participate, giving us ideas for uh, youth activities. And then... Uh, Jake Bishop is going to need some, his baseball team is going to need some help. And May 20th, uh, Saturday, May 20th, uh, they're trying to gather together some volunteers. So Wayne's going to, we're going to work on getting together a sign-up sheet for that on May 20th. They're going to need about 10 volunteers. We've got marriage retreat going, and it's going to be a little crazy, but they do want to see if we can get some volunteers together that could go help uh, work with uh, Jake's baseball team on that day. So May 20th. We'll announce that again, but I uh, just wanted to, to get that out there. I, I know I'd forget it if I don't do it now. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, well, actually ver, uh, chapter 11. Look at verse number 27. This is where we ended the last time we preached from this text. It says, and when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the blessing of allowing us to gather together today in your house. We thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the promise of heaven. As we've sang this morning, we know that Jesus saves. It's by the blood of the Lamb that we are welcomed into the opportunity to go to heaven one day, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for the lessons that we learned from uh, David's life. We thank you for the truth found inside of your precious word. We thank you for salvation. God, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have looked. You may be seated. Thank you. We've looked at David's life, and we saw how David, as king, put himself into a position by staying home one day, put himself into a position a vulnerability. He sent with Bathsheba. He committed uh, adultery. And he sinned with Bathsheba. He had Uriah the Hittite, her husband, killed. And he offended God. And that verse in verse 27, it says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. If you haven't been here for any of these messages, to catch you up real quick on what's happened, David stayed home when he should have been at battle. He sinned with Bathsheba. He laid with her. She became pregnant. And to try to cover it up, he had a man named Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, killed. And all throughout chapter 11, you can read that story. We do not hear about the Lord until verse 27. And we see, as it says, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. When the Lord is mentioned, it's the anger of the Lord that is brought up. And it's kindled against David. Beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, we look at our text today. The Bible says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich, and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing 
save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared to take one, take, take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. We see this story and we look first when we came to this text in 2 Samuel 11. We saw David leaping into sin. He jumped into sin with Bathsheba. We see him in our uh, next message. We studied about how David lived in sin. And that's what you see in chapter 11 is you see him leap into sin in the beginning part of chapter 11. And then you see him live in his sin without repentance throughout the last part of chapter 11. And finally, thank the Lord, we see David leaving his sin. That's the beauty. That's the only reason we can look at this story and find any kind of uh, hope and peace is because you find the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness of God here in chapter 12. And God does this uh, uh, amazing thing by sending an old preacher, a prophet named Nathan, to David to show him his errors and tell him the truth. First, let's consider the message of the prophet. The Lord sent Nathan in verse 1, and in the, the second part of verse 1 of chapter 12, he begins a parable. He says, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. He begins this parable with an undeniable parallel between this rich man and this poor man and David and Uriah. David had had Uriah killed, and he begins this parable. He says, there's a rich man and there's a poor man. In verse 2, he says, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. There's an undeniable, undeniable parallel between the two, but David does not yet see it. David is listening to uh, Nathan as if he's telling him a story about something going on in the kingdom. And so there's an undeniable parallel there, but David doesn't see him. But he goes in verse 2 and he talks about the wealth of the rich man. He's talking about David. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. Verse 3 says, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which had, he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him. And with his children it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him his daughter. He points out David, and he points out the wealth of the rich man in verse 2, saying, uh, uh, this rich man, he's got so much exceeding flocks. He's got a tremendous amount of things. David, no doubt, he had storehouses full of food. He had fields full of animals. He had a city full of people that he was the king over. He had uh, uh, numerous wives. He had been uh, given anything and everything he could have ever wanted. The wealth of the rich man was untold. But look, in verse 3, he talks about the stewardship of the poor man. 
The poor man, what does it say there? Had what? Read it with me. Had nothing. Had nothing. Save one little ewe lamb. The poor man, Uriah, that Nathan's talking about in this story, he didn't have anything except for Bathsheba. What does it say here? Which he had bought. That word right there, that, that stuck out to me as I was studying this this week. He had, say, he had nothing save one ewe lamb which he had bought. Uriah, he wasn't an Israelite. Amen? He, we, we've, we've looked at this and we've established Uriah wasn't an Israelite. He was a Hittite. Yet he was loyal to, uh, to, to the Jews and, and, and their king. And he didn't have anything. And, and I was thinking about that in this day, what it took in this time. This was a, a much different time as, than it is today. I was imagining, uh, Brother Rick, what it might have taken for Uriah to be able to marry Bathsheba. Because for, for the new kid coming in on the block and just rolling in and, and marrying uh, the counselor of, of Israel's daughter, granddaughter, and marrying one of David's mighty men's daughter, Uriah had to go to some great lengths to marry, to marry Bathsheba, I would imagine. Uh, she wasn't part of just a peasant family on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Her granddaddy was, was David's counselor. Her daddy was one of David's warriors. And when, it, when I read that, that he bought, the, bought this lamb, in, in essence, uh, it took something for him to gain possession of that. Uriah had to do something to be able to marry Bathsheba. And you know what? When you work for something and you sacrifice for something and you give for something, it means something. I mean, you grow up to a point and you see, see kids, and I've done it, and you've done it, and we've all done it. You grow up to a certain point, and mom and daddy give. You get to the point. Anybody remember their first paycheck? I mean, hey, man, that was the best paycheck I ever got. Man, I got me some money. I'm going to put me $20 of gas, and it's going to fill my truck up. Man, that was great. Can't do that right now. I, bet, I think my first paycheck was $110, if I'm not mistaken. Man, I lived it up that week. I went and ate out every day, and I went and drove around and took my buddies out and had a good time. But you know what? It meant something because I worked for it. And what, what we're learning from Nathan is that this, this poor man, Uriah, he worked for that one little lamb that he had. He went to battle, and he fought, and he bled, and he saw men die, and he killed, and he sacrificed. And I think every little thing he gave, got in possession of, he might have went to, uh, to her daddy or her grandpa, and he said, I'm giving this to you. I want to give this as tribute because I want to make Bathsheba my wife. He bought that lamb. What does it say? He bought that lamb, and he said, which he had bought and nourished up. I don't think he looked at that as just a possession. He took care of her. He, he said, I've, I've worked to make Bathsheba my wife, and I'm going to take care of her, and I'm going to love her, and I'm going to nourish her, and I'm going to protect her. I'm going I'm to provide for her. I'm going to do for her uh, better than I'm doing for myself. Man, he's painting a picture for, for some heartache in the life of David here in a minute which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him. He was invested in his relationship with Bathsheba and with his children. It did eat of his own meat 
and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. He loved her exceedingly, greatly. He focused everything he had because that's all he had. He was content. This one poor man as it's talking about. Other words, Uriah. That was his stewardship. But look at the depravity of the rich man. Verse 4. And there came a traveler under the rich man, and he spared to take his own, of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. In essence, uh, this, this man, this rich man that had these great exceeding flocks uh, of, of sheep, he went and he plucked the one sheep that this poor man had out as if it was his own. And that's what David did. David went and he plucked Bathsheba out of the hands of another, out of the love and the heart of another, when he had exceeding flocks. God allowed him to have all these wives. God gave him all Saul's wives, and God allowed that. And that wasn't, I mean, God allowed him to do that, and that was sinful under the law. But God allowed him to, to, to indulge. But it was that one he took from another that offended God. It was that one that he stole from another that didn't have but one. That loved and he nourished and he cared for and he took care of. That's what offends God. How wicked and how evil this was. Look at verse 5. This is the misunderstanding of the rich man. Verse 5, it says, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. This is just ironic. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Goodness, had he realized, Scotty, what he was saying. He's talking about himself. And he really was worthy of death at this point in time. This man that, has, that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. What a hypocrite. What a hypocrite. He's hearing the story from Nathan and he's thinking he's just telling the story of the goings on out, out in the countryside. And he said uh, he gets angry because he hears this story and he's like, you know what? I'd like to find this man. He deserves to die. And under the law uh, concerning livestock, if you did something or you caused the, the, you stole or you killed or did something to someone else's stock, you would have to uh, not only restore what you had taken, what you'd stole, what you'd killed, whatever, you would have to restore it fourfold. Hey, he couldn't repay this. He had taken something from Bathsheba. He couldn't restore. He couldn't repay. David got angry. He got mad. That was his misunderstanding. You know, it's, it's funny, and I, and I was looking at this, and, and I, I had this thought about how uh, shaken and shattered we can be by the Word of God sometimes, but also how callous we can be by the, to the Word of God. It's not that the Scripture has lost its potency to a hardened Christian, but rather that the vessel on the end of its truth has become callous to its sin-seeking capabilities become callous to the ability for the Word to do its work. How often do you read through the Scripture? How often do you read through the Bible and it never touches you? You may hear it and you may think of someone else. Man, I, oh, so-and-so, they need to read this. Come on now. Sam ain't the only one saying amen to that. <laughs> Somebody's been there. 
man, I wish old so-and-so would hear this. I, or you hear a message, man, I'm glad he preached that this morning. They, on the, on, the, on the right side of the church, on the left side of the church, they, man, they needed that. How callous we get to the word of God. Knowing and understanding uh, or forgetting the knowledge and understanding that, it, that it's sent to us, each and every one. Whether we benefit from it today or tomorrow, we all can benefit from the truth of God's word. But we get callous to it and we get to the point where we're hardened against it. And that's where David was. Nathan was standing in front of David and he's saying, and he says in just a second, he, he hits him with the truth. But Nathan is telling him the story of how David had stolen Bathsheba from Uriah and he's not hearing it. Because he's come callous to it. And that ties up all the other messages we've had so far on this. He law, he, when a man loses himself, he loses his ability to understand and know God's word as he should. Nathan's standing there telling him, man, this man's messed up. This man stole from another man. This man's took the only thing this other man has. And he's become callous to it. Nathan's the man now. Verse number 7, we see a huge shift and a hard truth told to David. He says in verse 7, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. David rolls up in here, and I believe, or Nathan rolls up in here, and I believe this is the, one of the most profound statements in all of the Bible. He says, thou art the man, David. David standing there, he's, he says, I, if I find this man, I'd like to kill him. He needs to die. You need to bring him to me. He, he's got to restore fourfold that which you've taken. And Nathan looks at him, and as I like to say, he brings the old proverbial 12-gauge gospel and levels it on him and blows both barrels right in his face. Thou art the man, David. You've become hardened to the word of God. You've become hardened to your, your spiritual sensitivity. You've become hardened to, to all the things that you know from right and wrong. You are the rich man in this story. You are the one that offended. You are the one that's stolen. You are the one that's perverted at home. You are one that has destroyed the life of Uriah the Hittite. Thou art the man. Man. You know, if we look back at our lives, we can probably find someone that's done that for us. If you're saved today, there's probably been somebody that's had to give you the hard truth. And if there wasn't somebody, I know the Holy Spirit's done it. Because if you're a truly saved person, the Holy Spirit's dealt with you and given you the truth and showed you that you are the offender against God. Thou art the man. Thou art the man. That's the hard truth. He says, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, look what he says, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. This is the revelation of the provision of God. He says, look at what I've done for you, David. Nathan says, look at what God has provided. He, he delivered you out of the hand of Saul. He's, he's made you a successful military leader. He's given you all the, the, the wives you could ever want. He's given you the houses. He's given you the mansions. He's given you the flocks. He's given you all these things. And he says, if you had been lacking and you had desired and wanted more, God would have given it to you if you would have sought him for it. That's what's so bad. We go out trying to get things, make it happen for ourselves, we're going to mess it up. I worked with some people for 
for a while. They talk about manifesting. I don't know if y'all ever heard of anything like that. Talk about you, you, you say something's going to happen enough, you manifest it and make it happen. That's hogwash. It's foolishness. Foolishness. That's what David did. He manifested it. Like, look at Bathsheba. I'm going I'm to talk to her. Brings her into his house, lays with her. He manifested sin in his life. The only thing you're going to manifest out of your own power is destruction. God tells him through Nathan, if you had just sought me and looked to me, even though I had given you so much, if you had just sought me, I would have given it to you. What does he say? I would have given you such and such things. I would have given you all your desires, all your wants. He had already bestowed great blessings on David. He had already allowed David a tremendous amount of wealth and a tremendous amount of power. But David started manifesting things in his life, doing it out of his own power. And he made a huge mistake. That's the hard truth, the revelation of provision. He said, I would have given to you anything that you wanted. What does verse 9 say? Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. What does he say there? He says, thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite. As I was studying this, that really stuck out to me because he held David responsible. What did David do? David tried to cover up his sin in having Uriah killed, but he had the literal blood of Uriah on his hands. That's who was held responsible for the death of Uriah. And you know what? We get deceptive and we think we're smart. We think we're going to sneak one around on God. It's kind of like being a little kid. You know, you think you can get one around on mom and dad. Man, if you can get your sibling to do it, that's the best way to do it. And having a little brother was a blessing because my brother, I'd be like, you do this, he'd go do it. Guess what? Guess who got the heat? He got the heat until they realized it was my influence that created it. And then guess who got the whooping at that point in time? Me. I was the one that ended up in trouble because I was the one that was influencing that decision. It's the same difference. We think we're so, comp we think we're so smart. We think it's so complicated. You, you start, get, these psychologists spend $500,000 getting a degree. And there's some preacher standing up here that I went to AB Tech. I'm telling you psychologically, we're just like children. We can shut the colleges down. We're just like children. That's David. He tried to, he tried to pin it on somebody else. He tried to point, push it over on somebody else. He tried to put the responsibility on somebody else, but God looked at him. He said, you, you are the man that killed Uriah by the sword. He held him responsible for his blood. You thought, man, I was coming to church this morning to get lifted up. We should. We got to get right. We don't need to be deceptive. Thou art the man. The hard truth. The revelation of provision and the offense against God. He says, Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. He says, David, God ain't going to send you another man's wife. That was quiet. You thought, he thought he was going to be able to move it around and shift it around and make it click, make it work. He said, God's not going to, it wasn't God that sent you Bathsheba. You did that yourself, David. You made that mistake. His offense against God. Verse 10, it says, 
Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from mine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with the wives in thy sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Now, we, we're going to look at this for just a second because... Let me tell you, God is faithful and just to forgive sin. Amen? Amen. The blood of Christ. You plead the blood of Christ on any sin. I don't care what it is. If you're, a child of, if you're a child of God, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. And he will take that sin in your life. He will cast it as far as the east is from the west. And you stand, I, I believe we'll all stand before God as the scripture teaches. We, every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess. But at that point in time, it's done. You'll confess for your sins, but it will never be brought up again. Ever. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. But there are still consequences for our sin. Because David laid with Bathsheba, because she conceived a child, there was no way he could get away from that. And he was forgiven, we'll find in a few verses, he is forgiven of his sins, but there are still consequences for the sin. You say, well, God's not fair. Yes, he is. He is extremely merciful he's extremely graceful because you know what he should have done to David is he should have struck him dead. You know what he should have done with me because of my sin nature? He should have struck me dead. But there's some things I can't regain. There's some mistakes I've made I will never be able to undo to myself or to others. There's just stuff that it ain't going to be undone. And the devil will bring them up. The devil will fight me about it. The devil will deal with me about it. God's forgotten it, but there are still consequences for it. Because David, he couldn't go back and change his sin with Bathsheba. Now look at what these consequences are. Verse 10, he says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. He says, David, you'll have uh, no peace due to your violence. You'll have no peace due to your violence. And you find, you find difficulties, you find sin, you find uh, um, uh, plenty of, of, of hard times and battles and wars and violence all down through the, throughout the, 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 the uh, history of Israel after this. And it was because of this decision that creates the, line, the, the violence in the lineage of David. It was his sin and the consequences of his sin was war. He says you'll have no peace due to to violence. You'll have no peace due to violence. You have chosen to deceive using the sword. You'll never, you'll never get away from it. And what does he say there as well? He says, the sword shall never depart from thine house. Because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. You've taken it. You've tried to cover it up. You've tried to hide it. You'll never have peace again. And what does he say in verse 11? Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. We've preached recently through the Psalms and we look at Absalom. His son turns against him. Absalom, this is what it's talking about. When evil comes out of, inside of David's home, Absalom, his own son, turns against him. So he says you'll have no peace because of your violence. And he said you'll have no normal home because of the homes you have corrupted. 
David, through sinning with, with Bathsheba, corrupted a number of homes because it's not God's plan for, for that to take place. He corrupted those other homes, and he says, David, your home, it'll never be normal again. And we see in the next few, uh, few chapters, you see uh, with, with Amnon and his half-sister Tamar, and, they, and, and Amnon sins against Tamar, and then you find Absalom begins, his anger gets up, and he gets a following together, and he gets people together. Then he eventually turns against David. He'll never have a normal home again on this earth because he had corrupted another's home. you say, saying God still forgave him? Yes, but these are the consequences of his sin. When we choose to sin and we choose to live in sin, there are consequences. He says in verse 12, he says, For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. He says, There'll be no discretion because you tried to hide your sin, David. David tried to hide all this stuff. And he thought he had gotten away with it. But God saw it the whole time. He says, everyone will see this. Everyone will see this. You know, uh, po politicians and stuff, we think it's bad here, but anybody know that uh, the king in uh, England was Great Britain? He was coronated and, and installed as King Charles III or something like that, uh, whatever. Anyway, no offense to him, but he was, he was installed as the king just, just Saturday, I think. You had to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to watch it here. Uh, but anyway, he was installed as the king. And you know what? The, the thing about the royal family is we've been Americans for 250 years, and we still hear about what goes on over there. I mean, people, people still talk about it. Like, and, and I love British history. I mean, I, it interests me tr a lot. But I'm like, man, I would not want to be these people. Because... You live in a small southern town, and everybody and their brother knows your business. But you're the king of England, and everybody knows your business. I mean, everybody. They're in another country that we, we broke off from them, and we still talk about their business. God's judgment against David was essentially that. Everybody will see this. Your family's going to crumble. Your family's going to fall apart. Your fam and everybody's going to know and talk about the chaos between Absalom, the chaos between David. Because you tried to hide it. You say, man, God doesn't sound like a merciful God. We're going to get to that in just a second. But there are consequences to our sins. There are consequences. Violence. Corruption. In our homes. Sin, things being put on display. People will see it. Sin is one of those things. You can do everything you can to try to suppress it, to try to hide it, to box it up, stick it under the bed, light it on fire, bury it in the ground, throw it in the ocean. You can do whatever you want to. Sin will come out. People will see it. If you are actively living and choosing to live in sin, whether you try to hide it, whether you try to show it, I don't care. You put it on a billboard, you hide it, you put it in a box and bury it in the ground, it will come out. People will see it. Man, I'm not getting a lot of amens this morning. I got all the deacons sitting on the front row and I ain't getting nothing. You can try to hide it and thank you. I got an amen back there. Thank you, sir. You can hide it. It's going to come out. Consequences to sin. Look at what this says here in verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 
And Nathan said unto David, this is a blessing right here. The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. The Lord also hath put away thy sin. David repented for his sin. And he faces this consequence. And you come back tonight, we'll look at that, Lord willing. But he faces his consequences. But he walks through these consequences knowing he's forgiven. That's what makes being a true, converted, blood-washed believer in Christ different than just being a religious Christian. When you've been washed in the blood, he puts it away. And there's consequences. You can't go back and change certain things. If, man, if we got talking about that, we, we could go around this, this room start talking about things that we've done and consequences for those things. But in the eyes of God, once it's repented, it's gone. It's gone. What does it say? He put it away. He put it away. And God's not somebody that gets sentimental about sin. He don't keep a scrapbook. Pop that thing out when your parents come over. Look at all he's done. This is year one, new Christian. Still living like the world, trying to figure things out. Praise God, he doesn't bring the scrapbook out. When it's put away, it's gone. Forever. I'm leaving you on that note. We got a lot tonight, Lord willing. But I'm leaving you on that note. The point of the message ends up being forgiveness. And thank the Lord, that's the type of God we serve. I wonder this morning,